Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Ellen Trackman, here with Jennifer White. I was going to say, do, do I need to go? Who, yeah, who am pause. I? I don't even know. <laughs> this is the problem with having no visual cues, right? I know, not being near each other. So um, our world is changing. One of the reasons is changing. I mean, so many reasons, but one thing is the advancement of DNA testing and home DNA kits that are changing our lives, especially when it comes to assisted reproductive technology, where more information is coming out that no one expected to be out there. And of course, we've talked about taking our DNA tests and finding out that you were adopted and that... Our parents never told you. Okay, okay. We didn't find that out, but Fine, um, yeah. So today explores some current litigation that's happening because of DNA tests and this information now coming to light. Um, it's a rare episode to talk to a party and her attorney while litigation is Still currently pending, going on. So of course they have to be careful about what they say, I assume, and you know other protections. But before we dive into that, Jen, do you have any good DNA testing stories aside from, you know, of course, finding out that you were adopted that, that, and that you're oh, saying I'm adopted from aliens and <laughs> no, except maybe that I'm one of the only, well, I can't say I'm the only one because this there actually is an industry that exists around this, but I am definitely one of those weird people that has had their dog DNA tested as well. Oh. So and yes. did you find out any any interesting information? Um yeah, because she was a Colorado mutt when we got her. So we just, you know, I, I don't I don't know what she, you know, is. But it uh, turns out she is 50% poodle and the rest is Italian Greyhound and Dachshund. So use your imagination. <laughs> but did you did it link you with siblings or, you know, first, you know, cousins? Did you, did not. Did you meet family? Oh, it doesn't have that. Unfortunately. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I guess it's maybe because just not enough people have. And maybe if her parents were dogs. out there and they also, if her dog parents also did, then maybe we would find them. But not yet. Not as of when I ran the test. So what about you? Any good DNA stories or no? No. Just this, no? just this one, this litigation oh. coming up, which is okay. super interesting. Welcome Danielle Toysher and Jill Titel to the show. Thank you both for joining us. Before we dive into this fascinating story with really interesting legal issues and real implications for, for lots of people out there, let's do some short introductions. Danielle, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you live, what your family looks like right now? Yeah. Um, I'm Danielle. I was born and raised in um, Portland, Oregon, which I hear is pretty rare. Most of us <laughs> move away. Move <laughs> yeah. All transplants? Oh, yeah, pretty much. So when people hear that I'm from Portland, they're like, whoa, what? You're a unicorn. <laughs> um, yeah, so born and raised in Portland. I'm 32. Why don't we switch over and get an introduction from Jill to, to start from here? Okay. Jill Titel. I am an attorney in New York. And I've been an attorney for over 20 years, and I, my practice is varied. I do trust and estates and administrations and trust and estate litigation, and now I'm in the uh, ever-changing field of fertility-type cases and litigation involving sperm banks. And I am a solo practitioner, and I also have a family and looking to do some justice in this case. Yeah. And what inspired you to 
kind of move your practice over to issues in assisted reproductive technology? So I have had a, an encounter with the fertility industry and in trying to start my own family. And I really felt that there was so much that women especially were sort of in the dark about and not there was not a lot of flow of information or genuineness in terms of the information that was being filtered down. And you always, whenever you're pregnant, I think feel like you're you're not getting as much information as you want to make the best informed decision. But specifically, last year I read some articles, one in particular from the Washington Post, that uh, headline article that mentioned how this uh, fertility industry is unregulated and pretty much no limits on the number of children that can be born or donor conceived. And I I started to investigate and study it and realized that this is an area that deserves some attention, uh, legal attention and good case law and good statutes and all that. (laughs) Makes sense. So Danielle, you mentioned you have a daughter. Yes. Do you, let's talk through your journey about how your, your daughter came, came into your life. So I was with my husband at the time, and we were like high school sweethearts. We dated in high school for a little bit, and then we reconnected when we were about 20. And uh, we were together for about five years before we decided to start trying to have a child. We were trying. Nothing was happening. um, And it had been like a year. So we went to see some fertility doctors, and we discovered that actually both of us were experiencing infertility uh, issues. Oh, wow. Yeah. The double whammy, right? Right. And we were only, what, like 24? Wow, so young. So that's pretty pretty shocking at that age. So what did they advise to, to do? So uh, Zoe's father, he didn't or he couldn't produce sperm. So um, that was an obstacle for us. And um, a donor would be our only chance at having a child. Oh, wow. So was it an easy choice? Did you think maybe adoption or we'll go straight to, to donor sperm? Or how did how did that processing go? Um, I don't think adoption was on the table for us, just based on the cost. Um, sure. Okay. And all the requirements that, you know, it's it's a huge process. We thought that maybe we could find somebody in our lives to donate, but that wasn't a possibility for us. And so we went the sperm bank route. Great. And how did you choose? Where did you where did you start? Where did you go? Because it's just such a when you find out you need sperm, where do you turn? It was it was a huge process. A lot a lot of googling. Um, yes, yeah. <laughs> a Down lot the of rabbit like, hole. Yeah, uh, asking other moms, other people who have been there, um, asking for recommendations of banks, and then uh, eventually I ended up at Northwest Cryo because they have they have their own forum just full of women giving each other advice. And, oh, that's great. Yeah. Also, um, they have the donor sibling registry, which was really important to me because I wanted my daughter to be able to connect with, you know, her siblings. And also they were, they were probably one of the more affordable banks. Mm, and that was, that was, a you know, infertility treatment is super expensive. So that was right. <laughs> yeah. And for how long you have to try and how many you know cycles you have to go through, it can get, incredibly expensive. So. Right. 
Once you chose the bank, how did you choose the donor? And I, I've heard it being described like match.com where you're like putting your criteria. Was it like oh that gosh. for you? It, it's so bizarre. It really is similar to that. But um, so our number one criteria was to find an open donor. And do you want explaining that? I feel like that term can be really confusing where people think open, like I'm meeting them, I everyone knows. What did that mean in this context? So it means open at 18. Of the child turning 18. The, right. The child and, could contact the bank, I think, and they would contact the donor. And then are is the child guaranteed the donor's like name or is it just that you can or how does that do you know anything else you know it, it it has evolved over the years like even since i picked an open id donor so the banks kind of keep changing the criteria and what the what the kids get and they don't get so it actually is really confusing but um when i purchased it what was it at the time right, well, at the or, time, well, I, I, know, I don't know if yeah. that in that situation or what yeah, do you exactly. think it was at least what was your expectation at the time? Yeah, that, that she would get to contact the bank and the bank would contact the donor. Awesome. So you, you picked a donor. Right. Was it was it that easy? You're just like, I, <laughs> I, I threw a dart at uh, you know, somebody who had an open ID? Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. So first, you know, open ID. And then we matched my husband's physical characteristics. And uh, yeah, so like hobbies and hair color, eye color, ancestry. We found like the perfect match, matched everything, eye color and oh, wow. height. and. Awesome. Pretty much, yeah, down to the T. Yeah, we found what we thought was the perfect donor. Wow. Perfect I match, mean, yeah. And it wasn't like the Pina Colada song where it turns out he had been donating on the side and you actually chose <laughs> him. No, that'd be hilarious. <laughs> oh, okay, uh, so you chose a donor, and where did things go from there? Right, so um, we had to, like, sync up the cycles, my cycle, my fertility cycles, and, you know, plan to order it and have it shipped on the perfect date. And I was lucky enough that it worked on the first try. Wow. That is very lucky. It's very rare, I hear. Right. Yeah. So uh, did you just purchase that one vial that you used on that one try? Yeah, I believe I I purchased two on that try. And and that was it for a while. And then we purchased extra for a future sibling. Yeah. Okay. So you did that after... So I, I guess I'm, I'm jumping ahead. So you got <laughs> pregnant, but right. I assume is, is that is that your current your current child? Yes. Yes. So this, I mean, this story is it's very normal, like happening. I don't know, hundreds, ten thousands of times for people oh, yeah. throughout the world, um, throughout the United States too. That people turn to sperm donors, get pregnant, have a child. So your story takes a unique turn. Tell us what happened I think when your daughter was maybe four oh so um that Christmas I purchased DNA tests for my close friends and some of my family members who had questions about their heritage yeah those Um, Facebook ads are relentless I don't know how they were they were definitely after me around Christmas like half off best ever I think you sent it to me for Christmas one year (laughs) Mm -hmm. totally around me Yep. Oh, yeah. Just to prove that we weren't related. Didn't work. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, naturally included Zoe since, you know, we don't know a whole lot about the donor side, half of her. And so I sent in. Her. Well, and also she's half you, too. So, right, I mean, yeah. you know, like you, you want that part of her ancestry as right, well. Yeah. Right? Everyone's curious about themselves, right? Well, it's just sure. human nature. Yeah. So what happened? Well, I'd say, oh, well. She got a match, a family match, 
which was just a pure shock to me. Like I thought maybe that was not, not something you were expecting. No, not at all. Maybe like a distant fourth cousin, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I mean, I, I hoped that there would be half siblings, but uh, Mm. so far there aren't any. Yeah. But there was a, a close family match. What, yeah, and it was very shocking. Yeah, what'd you do? Um, f- I thought about it for a while, and I sent them a message just saying, basically, you know, I'm open to contact if you are. And and I was going to ask that. So, like, it was through their system, though. It's not like you, like, went out and, like, chased them down or anything. Oh, no. It was, like, through their system, like, yeah. hey, if if we wanted, if you want contact because you've said you're open to contact, you know. Right, yeah. Is that, is that essentially the... The yeah, very high email. level overview of what you said. Right. You can email through the 23andMe, the, you know, server. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. There, there was no, no weird sleuthing. Nothing like that happened. And then what, what happened after you sent that message? Um, I got a reply. Like they sounded confused and I just left it at that. I said, I'm sorry. And honestly just forgot about it. And then. Um, and that was it. You, it. you moved on with your life. Never. Right. Moved again. on with my life. Like, okay. What? Like. That's the end of that chapter. Yeah. Uh, and was, then, it? <laughs> was it? Was it? Uh, <laughs> like three, I want to say three weeks later, maybe four weeks, I got this big manila envelope in the mail. I was like, what? Northwest Cryobank? I'm not expecting anything from them. I open it up and just pretty much one of the worst moments of my life, I would say. Oh. Yeah. Oh. One, of the, one of the most difficult things for me to recall. I think we just cut the episode off right now and not tell anyone what was in the envelope. It could have been anything. Right. Nobody knows what happens now. Yeah. Okay. Uh, commercial. No, okay. What, what, what was in the envelope? Um, it was a cease and desist letter. And it said I had uh, breached a contract and that they could pursue me for $20,000. Um, oh, and they're taking away my additional vials of sperm that I had stored for future children and that there would be no refund awarded. So it was pretty scathing. It felt, I don't know, pretty painful to read. Yeah. And at the time, did you understand the connection? Did they explain the connection as to what they thought was the problem? And they just, you just got this out of the blue. I'm not sure. I would have to look at it to be sure. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. And you don't have to, we're not asking you to bring things up that you don't know the answer. <laughs> okay. to that off. So definitely. I mean, I, I could just chime in here. Um, they did in this letter uh, that's attached to our complaint as exhibit um, C. Um, they, <laughs> are, <laughs> they are um, the cryobank does also say that they're reserving their right to start a court action against Danielle and to collect all monetary damages. Yeah. And I'm sure that's terrifying, Danielle. I read that. Yeah. It was very, very scary. And also it attached the contract uh, that Danielle, one of the, or the contract that we know of that Danielle did sign um, and in that contract, there is no rights that, that exist for them to seize her gametes. Right. Which now makes sense why it's a giant manila envelope because they sent you a whole mess of papers, huh? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So what did you do? I cried a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. Um, it was a really, really difficult time. 
And I, I really felt like I couldn't talk to anyone about it. So it was also a really scary and lonely time. Yeah. What changed? What made you go public or, you know, find someone to help you? Yeah. Like, you know, I had been keeping it to myself for a few days and I just really needed to talk to somebody. And so I couldn't think of anybody but Wendy Kramer. She seems to be like the guru in the area. And so, right. The founder of the Donor Sibling <laughs> Registry. Sibling registry. Right. Oh, yeah. We have an episode interviewing her on this podcast. So listeners can go back yeah. to that one. Yeah. So I, I had a conversation with her and she kind of, you know, explained to me like, this is outrageous. You didn't do anything wrong. And she kind of just scooped me up from that really dark place mm -hmm. and just supported me through it. And everything sort of took off with the media. And it was a wild ride for a while there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then so it, then she connected you with attorneys, yeah. I assume. So and then this is where we Jill. bring Jill back in. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So Jill, if you don't, sorry, thank you, Danielle, so much for sharing all of that. So, I mean, I can't, I can imagine every time you talk about it, it must be kind of reliving that trauma of getting right. the envelope and feeling horrified. But yeah. Um, okay. If you don't mind, let's go into the legal issues for a little bit. Jill, can you tell us what, so my understanding now is that you guys have brought a complaint against the sperm bank. So not the other way that the sperm bank didn't, hasn't tried to enforce at 20,000. You guys have preemptively brought a case against them. Can you tell us about what that, those main arguments are, what the issues are and where you guys kind of are in the case? Sure. Sure. Um, yeah. So we, we brought this complaint in June of 2019. Um, First and foremost, we're we're trying to tell the court through our complaint that the cryobank has confiscated Danielle's gametes and they didn't have a right to do so. So we have several claims in that genre. It's <laughs> Danielle's rights to her property. But Danielle's daughter is also joined as a co-plaintiff here, and Danielle's daughter, ZF, also has, we call her ZF um, in the lawsuit. Mm -hmm. She also has rights. ZF is not a signatory to the contract, but she she also has a right to be, we say, treated properly by a cryobank. She is a beneficiary of mm. the first batch of gametes that actually caused her to be born mm. and her right to have a sibling as well. So these rights and others will be litigated most likely not just in Danielle's case, but in future cases after this one. But our legal claims circulate on the property rights of Danielle, the promises and the expectations that Danielle had as a result of cryobanks advertising and marketing and their contracts. And mm -hmm. then we have contract claims, like I said before, that there's no remedy in the contract that permits forfeiture of the gametes. There is, in my review and analysis and research, the right of civil forfeiture, forfeiture is, is very rare and people just don't get to make up their own remedies. If there's a contract, right. you have to abide by the remedies in the contract. And for people who don't like live in this world, forfeiture is like you, you know, lease or you bought a car and they just take your car away or you're renting an apartment and they kick you out. That there tends to be, these tend to be rare that those are extreme situations, right? That you can just take someone's property. Right. Exactly. Part of the promises, I'll just add that Danielle was 
is litigating about um, is the promise that this donor was an open ID donor. And that's critical to our analysis and hopefully your listeners will, it will resonate with them too, that Danielle searched through records, websites, Danielle, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think that this was the only donor you looked at. There were other donors that you looked at, right? Right. There was, there was a list. Yeah. So she, she analyzed, she went through it with her husband too, I believe, and they came up with this, this open ID donor specifically because this is how they wanted to raise their family with a person who might be open to contact one day. So now we're at the stage of the litigation where there is an answer filed to our complaint finally, and Cryobank has alleged now that it classified, while it classified Danielle's donor as being open ID, it actually happened to be a website or clerical error, and that this donor was supposed to be categorized as anonymous. So this is a new development, like new, like last week new. So this is yet to be really litigated, but that is the the statement by the uh, cryobank. Mm-hmm. And this is now something that needs much, much more further attention. Right. And I, I feel like just generally it's very confusing to say anonymous these days anyway, for to say a sperm donor will be anonymous just because the information is so easily accessible, whether it's a DNA test that someone takes and you're you know, matched with a fourth cousin, which easily identifies someone or facial recognition or whatever it is now, the technology just is improving so quickly that no one is really anonymous anymore. Yes. This is something that the bank is not acknowledging. Um, they're, they're holding to this ideal of a, of anonymity being the way that this business is, is built. And you know, that, that remains to be seen in our litigation, how they can prove that, how their their records, documents, their depositions will show that that's really what they believe. They're experts, you know. So I understand another issue was the sibling registry. So Danielle really liked that they had the sibling registry within them. So, and I think this is right, that you could connect or talk to other parents of children conceived from from donors from this bank and that no longer is available right right and coincidentally it was shut down shortly after this cease and desist letter was issued to danielle that was done in january of 2019 over a year ago purely a coincidence yeah right um so and it did it come back up no okay so it's been shut down since this case started basically I think even from our complaint, you could we could tell that a sibling registry was very, very important to Danielle, and it was one of the promises um, that led her to go with this cryobank in the first place. And she wanted to connect with other half-siblings of her daughter and the other mothers as well to have a, a unit of sorts, an extended family of sorts, a connection, right? So because of their quote unquote mistake, these other mothers and families are also affected. Yeah. And there are at least 10 
affect 10 children affected, right, Danielle, or, or thereabouts? Um, that's an estimate. There's, there's more. Mm-hmm. They don't have that option to make those connections. Right. right. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's really fair. I'm sure Danielle has seen these stories and kind of hope the same for her family where, um, for example, one of the podcast guests we had was this really wonderful woman, Danielle Kitson, who was a, who was a parent by donor conceived children. And she had connected with the parents of other children that were conceived from the same donor. And they really formed this kind of community and relationship. And they call them the diblings, like the donor siblings and have kind of extended family. And it's really lovely and beautiful. So I think it's very natural that you might want to find those connections for your daughter and kind of expand the, the circle of family and love that is around her. It's definitely enriching. And I think, Danielle, you did, you've you done that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we've met, I think, four, four of the siblings. Um, we went to Disneyland in May, or Disney World, excuse me, in Florida. Oh, so you yeah. do have... So, Fun. So mm-hmm. no half-siblings came up on the DNA test, but from their sibling registry, you had found four of right. them. Is that right? Nice. Right. Yep. Jill, where does the case stand? At the moment, we are getting ready for (laughs) discovery, the discovery phase. It's in federal court in the Eastern District of Washington. We recently defended a partial motion to dismiss three of Danielle's claims. So the court granted this partial motion to dismiss, and they did so with prejudice, which means that we can't bring back the cause of action. But we have several other claims. And the court's decision, I'm sure you can give a link to your readers um, or your listeners. Um, We will uh, do so. Yeah, it's interesting to read. You know, we disagree with the court's ruling, but that's all I'm going to say respectfully um, about it. It's It's an ongoing case. Since Crybank succeeded in their motion to dismiss, the other claims are ready to go and ready to head into discovery and then ultimately trial. We're feeling positive. We're feeling ready and energized to go into discovery and see what kind of documents they have to uh, back up their their allegations and their answer. Yeah. And do you mind talking a little bit about what you think the implications are for others of this case? Because I think some of the worry is that what do you... I mean, there's so many people who are donor conceived or have children, like, do they need to, you know, stay away from all internet or DNA testing or any information out there? Mm, It's a hard one. It's, it's painful. (laughs) Um, We have lots of questions, you know, I have, I think there's tons of implications. It's a, it's a case that has broad, broad reaching effect. Um, So we have to see how the judge is going to most likely narrow his his decision over time when mm-hmm. he gets a chance to rule on all of the claims. Um, but at this point, the questions are many. Can mm-hmm. can the parents can parents who need or want to test their children's DNA connect twenty with twenty three and mere ancestry? I mean, that's a that's a big question. A lot of parents are frightened to do so. Mm-hmm. And what about the mothers who have sick children? You know, I, it just leaves them in a in a really bad place. If you store property mm-hmm. in a in a locker or you know, anywhere in a cryobank, right? You sh- you have the expectation of getting it back. Well, do you? You know, it, right. 
I mean, I don't even know what to say at this point. Do you advise people like, hey, move your sperm samples to a different bank than their original one in case they decide that you accidentally tripped up the contract so they don't they have it's harder for them to take them back? I don't know. I don't know what you advise at this point. Well, I'm definitely I'm definitely not doing that. I mean to do so. <laughs> right yeah. To do so would put me at at, at risk. Yes, but, okay. but no, I, I think people should figure it out for themselves and analyze what's going on in this case. And this is not the only case, of course, um, but I think it's the only case involving these overarching issues that that have, you know, importance. I mean, it, from the consumer protection angle, even though we were dismissed on that claim, I think people should be aware that you know, the attorney general in Washington state now knows of this case because we were required to advise the attorney general of this case. Oh, so, Yeah. Interesting. Danielle, how are you holding up throughout this? I can't imagine how stressful it must be to, you know, rate, be a parent, which is, you know, stressful in itself and also be dealing with kind of really big picture legal issues that affect a lot of other people. Oh, Yeah. It, it's been a journey. It's definitely a roller coaster. There's some, some lulls in the action where I can kind of sit back and relax, but then there's some, you know, really, really stressful and emotional times too. Well, anything else you want to share about the situation or the case? No, I just, I just think that you guys are great in getting the word Aww. out. Yeah. I really think it's important. And, you know, knowing how difficult litigation is in general. Um, I think women like Danielle should be treated with a lot of respect, even if people disagree with anything. I mean, just to go out there and have your name on the legal papers and, and to just to keep it together, you know, and, and litigation is expensive and, you know, she's, she's a hero. So infertility is hard to talk about as it is and to to throw your name out there with this on top of the fact that you already had something that our society stigmatizes, you know, is is incredibly brave. It is. Thank you. Well, I think our world is changing so quickly and that your story just really exemplifies that kind of clash between the way things worked and the world we live in and what that means for, for all of us. Yeah. I mean, I think I just add one last comment that I think technology um, has changed, right? We have grown from the time when um, Danielle entered into this initial contract. So, and that was all the way back in 2015. So even in 2015, people knew about 23andMe and genetic, finding out your DNA, you know, but it wasn't as big as it is now. So it's changing in the law and the court should recognize the change and things should be a little bit more synthesized. I think that's, that's, that's what I would have as my final statement. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We, we look forward to hearing what, how everything goes and, and supporting you through this. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your story and for Jill, for sharing the legal issues, which are really fascinating and we'll, we'll definitely be, be following. Okay, thank you. And also, Danielle has a GoFundMe page. I don't know if, Danielle, you want to just mention that. We'll link to that as well in our Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you.
Thank you to Jill and Danielle for joining us and sharing both their story and the legal analysis. And we really hope that we'll be able to send an update to listeners in the coming months or years. I mean, litigation is always so slow, but hopefully we'll be able to let everyone know. Especially now, right? In this day and age, again, as we kind of like point back to like all the courts have been really slow and everything else. So (laughs) it's just going to slow everything down even more. So thank you for your patience. While you wait, you have plenty of time to rate a podcast, write a review. Right? Yes, definitely. But yeah, so please do go onto iTunes, leave us a nice little review, go to Facebook, tell us hello via the little message function. I think you can even leave reviews on Facebook too. Um, I, I don't know. I haven't tried yet, but so, somebody prove it to me that you can do it. This is a, this is a dare out there. <laughs> I'm going to put that out to the world. Ooh, it's a dare. Everybody has to do it now. It's like the leave a review challenge. Um, Yes. Huge thank you. More popular than the ice bucket challenge. Right. Right. Um, Huge thank you as always to our team, to Amanda, to Lexi, to Tyler. And of course, huge, huge, huge thank you to Chris at Work at Bird Studios for making us sound great and um, for everything that he and all of them do for us. So thank you guys so much. And also thank you to those of you who listen and give us feedback. We, we really, we, we love having you around. 